What does it take to become a real team? Our guest today played a huge role in creating that atmosphere back when Jens and I were racing at Team CSC and SoxoBank and continues to help different teams, individuals, and organizations to this day. The off season is over, but we wanted to share with our listeners a bit of what goes on behind the scenes to create what we see on race or event day. Hope you enjoy our chat with BS Christensen today on Bobby and Jens. Okay, you asked for him. Here he is. Welcome, B.S. Christensen to Bobby and Jens. Thank you, guys. Nice to see you. Well, I must admit, it's been a good decade or so since we spoke, you know, face-to-face or virtually face-to-face. I have to say, each and every single day, something that you or Bjarna taught us at the at the years that we were at that, that team, let alone at our team building camps that we had. So I just wanted to, first of all, thank you for, for all those efforts that you made for us back in the day, and just really looking forward to introducing you to our listeners. So let's get started. Um, what is your style? I mean, we've done those famous training camps survival camps, team building camps, whatever we want to call them. But what is really your your background? So if we look back to the year of 2000, uh, Bjarne Reese, he, uh, he called me and he said he wanted to build the best team in the world. And at that time, I just stopped in the, in the military. I was uh, in a special unit. I've been there for 28 years. I have more than uh, 4,000 parachute jumps. And I'm also proud that I have passed the ranger school at Fort Benning in Georgia. So, um, so when Bjarne came and said uh, he wanted to build the best uh, team in the world, I said, uh, that's a challenge. <laughs> so, uh, so I said, yes. And my job there basically was uh, to build the team. And uh, I took all the skills uh, I had from the military uh, and put into to you guys. And uh, for me, when you have to build a team, it doesn't matter if you are, uh, we call it, Jens and me, we call it football, fußball, but you call it soccer. If it's a football team or a bicycle team or a whatever team, it's the same things. It's, it's the same uh, no matter what. So uh, I just put in all my uh, experience from the military and uh, set up some uh, training camps. Uh, and as you know, we have been all over the world with you, with you two guys a lot of times in Denmark. We have been in Norway in the, in the snow. We have been in South Africa. We have been in... The first one was, in fact, in Sweden. And then we have been uh, on Fortaventura and uh, Lanzarote and all over the place. So I just put the, the, um, my experience from the military into uh, to build the team together with Bjarne. I have nothing to do, as you know, you two guys, uh, with, with bicycling, but uh, just about how we work together as a team. So, BS, um, I guess to make it also more clear for our listeners, you were not in charge to make this team physically stronger, right? You wanted us to be working better together, right? What are what were your ideas behind and how long did it take you to come up with the idea for this sort of training camp? One week, one month, six months, 
Yeah, I, it's good, James. I, I have nothing to do with your physical condition or your techniques and bicycling and anything about that. The only thing I, I my, my job was um, to get people to know that if you want to conquer anything, we need to work together. And it, it, it doesn't took me long uh, because I just took the experience from the military. The difference is that in the military, we have to go out on a battlefield and we are sometimes not so many in the bus home as we went out. <laughs> so with you guys, I have to think a lot because you, you, um, you are expensive guys and uh, we, we, uh, we could not uh, damage you in any way. So I have really to take care of you also. So at the same time, to push you to the limits, limit, uh, also to take care of that nobody will get wounded or something. So, uh, so I just I just uh, took my experience from the military and put into you. And there's a lot of uh, difference to be up in Norway and, and and go on skis and be in the warm weather in South Africa. So I just um, yeah just fit the, the, the exercises into wherever we was. Well, if our listeners haven't picked up on, on it already, um, I don't know if everyone knows Arlie Emery from Full Metal Jacket. Um, that is my stereotypical memory of what it would be like to be in the military. And as you all can hear right now, BS is not that sort of guy. BS, coming from the military background, how were you able to stay so calm, cool, and collected? I don't think I've ever seen or heard you get upset or yell. And when we see Full Metal Jacket, we just think that's how it is in the military. Why Why are you so different with your communication style? Oh, I'm so happy, Bobby, that you what you're saying because um, where I come from in the in the military in the in the elite units, we never shout at each other. We never get upset because it's um, it's not good. And especially when you work on a very hard, hard condition where you're under on a heavy pressure and you, you, you need to like cross borders, you need to uh, talk to people. You need to look at people. You need to find the best in a, every person you work with. So, <clears throat> so uh, screaming and uh, shouting is, uh, is, is not, is not good. We have never, never done that where I come from. But um, at the same time, as you also notice, if I say what you have to do, you have to do it. I, I never discussed that. So we, if I say we have to jump out here or we have to swim in the cold water or we have to pass, Jens, <laughs> you are laughing, and when you have to pass an obstacle, uh, you do it. Because if, if, if I believe that you can do it, you, uh, you can do it. And, um, and I was very happy to work with you two guys because... You, um, I think you you could have been good soldiers because you you uh, you get an instruction, you have time to think, and then you do it. And uh, on the other hand, you also uh, get your 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 teammates with you. So, um, so I never shout at people. So BS, now you worked with Bjarne Reis and us, um, at least me, uh, I believe, for seven years. We went to training camps together. If you would, for whatever reason, go back to the military, is there anything you learn from us athletes? You would go go back and teach the military or you already knew more or less everything from your 28 years with the military service? 
the problem with millions is that I really never look back. It sounds uh, silly and maybe dumb because I'm a guy who lives right now and I live uh, for what we have to do tomorrow. So basically I really never look back. But if I if I have to go to back to the military now, I'm an old guy. <laughs> I still have a contract with the military, to be honest with you. But if I have to go back, I will just um, uh, bring all the memories I have had with you guys. And and what I saw is uh, when we take uh, ordinary civilians as you was and top athletes and see what you could do when you have to work together on a very, very uh, difficult conditions, then I will bring back to the military that uh, when when the best athletes we have in the world, as you was, you two guys, if they can do this, uh, then uh, the soldiers, uh, of course, can learn about it. Because I also want to say that big stars like you two guys, you was always polite, you was always nice, you was always helping your 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 teammates. This. I could bring back to the military because when the biggest stars we have in the sport can be so good persons and people as you are, we could bring that back to the military. Well, that's what I found that was so unique about our time together in Lanzarote mm -hmm. in Norway and Sweden, you know, wherever we were, was it wasn't just the athletes. It was the entire team. It was the ladies in the office. It was the mechanics, the soigneurs, the bus drivers. And we were there as a team. And every year, it seemed to kind of go up a notch in difficulty. And what I found amazing, and I won't mention any names, was some of the best athletes in the world were having more trouble than the ladies that work in the office and do our logistics. I mean, there's a big range of physical talent, but what I saw and what I really learned from the days, multiple days that we were under extreme fatigue, a little bit of sleep deprivation, a little bit less food than we wanted, was just the simple fact that we had to think not only as the strongest person, but as the weakest person and move as a unit. How much thought process had to go into all those activities that we did? And when I think back about it, when people ask me, it's, I'm, I'm still in shock of the cool things that we got to do from, you know, diving down into the ocean and grabbing our, our food from the bottom. I remember, you know, grabbing lobsters to going into a simulated burning building to riding in a tank to just the most amazing things. But we, we came together as a team and it wasn't only being strong that mattered, being physically strong. Um, it was really getting to the core of the human being that was next to you. And my main takeaway from that wasn't, you know, this person's stronger, that person's weaker. It was finding, finding our limits under pressure. Because I think everybody, when they come into a situation, they think they can be a leader. But when you take away the food, when you make people tired, you really strip that person down to who they are. And let's face it, 
in a cycling team, in a business, in any walk of life that you're in, it's not just easy street, right? So you kind of want to know the person that's next to you, not when he's at his best, but almost when he's at his or her worst, because then you know what to expect. Did that, was that some of the, the thought process behind making this so physically challenging and, you know, less sleep, less food? Was that, was that kind of your, your idea there? Uh, no, yeah, of course. But the idea is that if, if you do not know yourself, how, how should you have the strength to, have the, to know uh, other people? As a leader, if, you can't, if you're not able to lead yourself, you cannot lead anybody else. So basically, we, 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 uh, some of the exercises, you learn a lot about yourself and you learn a lot about your teammates. But in the end, you learned nobody can do anything alone. You can only do it with your team. You, you can only do it if you are honest to each other. You can, uh, if if uh, you, your teammates don't trust you, you will never reach your goal. So the exercises, I want to say now, it's easy to make idioty. It's easy to make silly exercises. I don't say mine was good, but I tried to make exercises so people, you guys, could use it also outside the, the, the bicycling. And I'll never forget you, Jens. On the first one on Lanzarote, where, we, where you have to sail a sailboat, and there was a, basically no wind, and you had that silly hat on, that big hat there. It's a typical German hat, maybe for the sunscreen. And we were sitting out there at the sea, and you said something about, uh, what I learned now, I learn something I can use in my private life also with my family and friends. And it, 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 uh, it hurt my heart in a good way because this is what it's all about. So, so when we do the exercises, you, you learn something about yourself. You learn something about your teammates and you find out you have to be honest. You cannot just, you can, you can, you can lie from here to the end of the world, but you can't lie you back again if you understand. And one exercise we did on, uh, I think it was on the Fort Ventura. One night I wake you all up and, I, and we, we walk out in the, in the darkness. And I said to all of you guys, we have to climb a mountain in the night without light. And all of you was thinking that I was crazy, but uh, maybe I am. And then we went out in, 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 in the darkness and we went out in the terrain and we come to this mountain and we start to climb up. And I said to all of you, all of us, all of you, you have to pick up a little stick of, of wood. And I, I could see in your faces what, what is going on. But everybody took a, a piece of wood and we climbed all the way up to the top and it was a windy night. When we came to the top, I, I gave you all matches and said, now you can put fire to your pin, to your wooden stock. And nobody could put fire, of course, to that, to that piece of wood. But when we put all our sticks in one big uh, bunk, whatever you call it, then we get a very nice fire. I think you can remember it. And this is this is basically how it is, and it's if it's in a family, it's in a in a business team, it's a military team or a bicycle team. It's the same. So that's what we did. One thing, BS, I still use these days is also you told us. When you finish the day and you had some negative emotions, negative experiences, it's like you put five kilo of weight in your rucksack, in your backpack. The next day you wake up with these five kilos, no problem. Everybody can walk with five kilos extra. But 
there's another five kilos the other day. And after 10 days, you have 50 kilos on your back. Nobody can run with 50 kilos on his back. So it is important every night, think about the day and empty your mental trash out. Talk to people they are involved, clear this out right away, straight away, and start the next day fresh with an empty backpack where you can put your negative emotions in until the end of the day you empty that again. I still use it with my kids um, and friends of mine when they ask for some advice. And I go, yeah, I learned that many, many years ago from B.S. Christensen. So, <laughs> yes, yes, I still use a lot of that still in private life. Thank you, Jens. No, uh, I, I'm to be. I'm really proud with what we what we did uh, on that team. I was there in ten years, uh, so uh, I never forget it, and I never forget you guys. Um, we, you, you, we have you remember out in, in down in South South Africa, we uh, we uh, we teach you about snakes. <laughs> I can't remember who it was, but when we put the snake out, what a guy here. Uh, What he fainted. I know. He fainted. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right in, oh, it was so crazy. I was, I was at that time thinking, oh my God, what's what's happening? He, he fainted. He, he saw a snake, and then we get the you you get the, uh, trained in in how to shoot a rifle, and then we was hunting the whole day, and we just killed one animal in the end, and I think we was about sixty some guys sharing one animal out there in the out there on the. Yeah, in the desert or where it was, in the, mm. and and that was that was good to see that everybody got a little piece of meat. But at that uh, trip, I, I never forget I, our our bus driver Lolo and the, and the doctor. And and one of the days we walked and walked and walked, and then Lolo, the French drive uh, bus driver, and the doctor sat down on a stone and said to me, "We quit, we quit, we are finished. We cannot walk anymore." This is crazy. And, I, and then I said to them, uh, it's good. Uh, have a nice time. Uh, just sit down and enjoy. There is a scorpion right next to you, doctor, but uh, don't take care of that. But just take it easy. So we'll see you later. And then uh, Lolo said, is somebody coming and pick us up? I said, no, no, no. Now you can just sit here and we, we, we continue. You have a nice time. And then <laughs> they jump up and... Of course, they could walk and then follow us in the next couple of days. So this is basically how we work. And so. I remember, um, since it was all about teamwork, we took the doctor's backpack and everybody took a piece from him so he didn't have to carry anything. Exactly. He just had to walk with us. But since uh, we were a team, everybody took something. Somebody took the sleeping bag, the next one took the water bottle and so on and so on so that he didn't have to carry anything, just have to walk with us. Yeah, and that was right. what happened right after that. And this is teamwork. This is the way it is. And what is also good is that nobody of you complained about it. It was not like, I carry your sleeping bag, so you owe me something. It's nothing about that. Hmm. We, we, we work together and we finish together. And that's what I like. But th that was also one of the things that I really took away from those camps was when you're strong, offer assistance. But most importantly, when you're weak, you ask, you have to ask for help. And to the point of the doctor and the bus driver, they asked for help. So I didn't look at that necessarily as being a weakness, you know, trying to do too much and then physically not being able to, to perform. But we were, they were, they informed us earlier, early enough so that we could actually help them. And they 
did finish the the entire thing. But you mentioned it. Jens, you've mentioned it. Team. What does it mean to be a team and teamwork? And we had those values of communication, commitment, loyalty, and respect, which I think everyone in our organization probably knows um, off the top of their head. But the most important one to me is communication. I feel that this is often overlooked and can derail a lot of situations, but what is your opinion about communication and how can we get better at communication? Of course, it's easy to say that communication is important, but where I come from, communication is something you seek. Uh, Communication is not something you wait for. So when I'm out working with people also these days where I work with people and said, oh, I have, I have not heard anything about that. I always said, have you asked? Have you seeked the communication? So communication is something you seek and the communication starts between people when you seek it with looking at people. When you look at people, the signals from the body language and, and how they talk and how they walk, this is communication. So if you are on top, you as you are, you guys, you you come the communication starts with your eyes so what what is what am i what is it i'm i'm looking at and they're already there the communication starts and then later on you you of course speak with people so so communication is something you seek um talking communication biane is a big strong character how was the communication between you and biane i'm sure you did not agree all the time on the topics right No, I'm I'm so proud of all the works, uh, all the years with Bjarne. We have a very sp- special relationship. But what is uh, a key uh, thing in there is that he 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 trusts me and I trust him. So when I t- told him now we go out in the on a, a big ship in in the Danish waters in the winter in the night, and if somebody falls overboard, we have a problem. And we do this and we do that. And what is why are we doing it? I told him, we what would we gain out of it? He said to me, okay, this is what we do. But you you know Bjarne as good as, as I do. And sometimes he's, he's difficult to, to talk to because he don't say it sometimes, sometimes too much. So there I have to push him a little bit. But I'm so proud of what we did. Uh, whole thing. Another thing I want to say about communication and also about teamwork is that I also had to push your limits. So if you don't communicate, I have to push you so hard, especially the, the young guys, so they, they in the end reach out for help. Because a lot of athletes, as yourself, are so proud that they, they will try to, to, to solve everything themselves. So I, I, I know the exercises I had to do with you They, they must be so hard and so tough and so demanding that you have to reach out for help in some point on, on the trip. And I never forget the young Andy's leg up in Norway on skis. And, and you, you know, you guys, we f- you fall all the time and you, you hurt yourself. And we, you pull this, uh, uh, we call it kilk, the, the pulk with all the stuff in, with the food, with the fire. And we was out there in the wilderness. And if if people like said, oh no, maybe there was somebody close to us, there was nobody, nobody. We was all alone out there. 
And after 24 hours, this Andy, he was fall, he fall and he fall and he hit himself. And then out there in the darkness, he came up to me and he said, you are crazy. You are idiot. You are. And then he said something about, are you aware that we can break our legs and we can break this and we can, I don't know what he said. And I said, okay. And then I told him, if you want to win the Tour de France, now it's time to show you have the guts. If you cannot do this, you'll not win anything. So, and there was a lot more, more talk about it. But then he, um, he shut up and he worked very hard. And this, that year he won the, can you remember, he won the, the white t-shirt? At the yeah. Giro Italia, I believe. Was it a Giro? Yeah, I think uh, there he was the, the first one in Giro and he ended up with the best young professional, yeah? And then oh, later maybe. he did the same with the Tour de France. Yeah, 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 yeah. Something like that. But he just gave me the, the T-shirt mm -hmm. and said, thank you for what you did up in Norway. You, you're totally right. And I know, of course, I was right. If he, if he couldn't show there that he had the guts to, 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 to do whatever we had to do with the team and show he was strong, he would have problem in one of the big uh, races. So, so this is, uh, and then he started to, uh, to, uh, to, to ask for help. And that was good. Well, my father served in Vietnam and I had a somewhat of a military based upbringing. So your philosophy was pretty comfortable for me, um, but definitely not for everyone. What are some of the challenges that you have to deal with with coaching teams or individuals that may not have any idea about what you're talking about or what you're trying to accomplish? As you mean uh, on the bike team or, or now? Now. Anyway, I mean, you know, the yeah. bike team was quite a while yeah. ago, but you keep, you, you're still working. Yeah, um, of course. But, but, but Bobby, uh, I know I'm uh, maybe funny for somebody, but... I, I really don't care. If people don't understand what we are doing, they should find another job. I, I don't want to waste the time on people who don't uh, believe in what we are doing. I know it sounds silly, but uh, if, if, they, if they, they don't believe what we are doing, they should find another job. And when I work now with people, I work still with the, the, the world champion in badminton and tennis guys at badminton, uh, sorry, uh, golf and and uh, other teams and uh, also the soccer team and and um, if people don't want to do what we do they should find another job i, I know it sounds like a tough but as individual uh, athletes if they don't do what i what I'm, i'm i'm teaching them i know they will not reach the goal so i don't really care in that way i'm there if they reach the goal But if they do what we, we train and what, what we, we work on, then they'll reach the goal. I hope you understand it, not to be uh, black and white, but I, I'm not the guy who will uh, win any uh, stage in Tour de France. Or I, I, I'm just the guy who gives my experience. And if people want it, they can take it. If they don't want it, I don't care. They can find something else. So what he's saying is you're willing to give 100% of you And you expect your partner to give 100% of the partner to you, right? It's a taking and yeah, yeah. giving. You give all you have for them and you expect them to give all for you. No, 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 no not, not, uh, not now as a soldier, yes, but not now because, um, no, but if they don't listen to me, I cannot move them. Like, 
like the we have a Danish world champions and a gold medal in in badminton, Victor Hackelsen. I worked with him for almost three years. When I start with him, I said to him, um, he he asked me for help. I said I can help you, but I have one demand. He said, "What is that? You have to do what I tell you. If you don't do what I tell you, it's a waste of my time." So what I he said, "Okay, I I'll do what what you tell me." Okay, and that that's it. If you don't want to to do what I I I, I teach him or tell him, it's not possible for me to 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 move him. You understand that? And I think a lot of people uh, who call themselves coaches or whatever, it's like more like they have to like, oh please, or la 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 la. If people don't do what I tell them, I can't move them. Well, by hearing you say that, it just brought back a memory of. In teams, everyone, when they're fresh, feels that they can be the leader. And in our sport, it's a very hier- hierarchical sort of thing, right? Like you've got the guys that are paid to win the Tour de France. You got the pay- guys that are paid to set the pace on the flats, on the hills. You know, go get bottles. But one of the things that I really enjoyed was throughout these processes it wasn't just the Andy Schleck and the Fabian Conchalaras and the Jens Volk Volk that were the leaders like you had different leaders through different phases and I learned so much there because when you're in the throes of battle in the throes of the, the boardroom in the throes of the Tour de France. You have to know and have confidence of who can react and lead, and most importantly, make a decision under pressure. And to all the people that tried to emulate, or all the teams, all the people that tried to emulate what we did, I don't think they ever got that part, was we gave at one certain time or another, everyone the chance to lead. And a lot of those times, those people that weren't comfortable in that role admitted it. I'm not good at this. I'm not a leader. And that was a phenomenal breakthrough because it really took the ego out of it. When you're in a situation where a a decision has to be made instantly, you look around your six or seven, eight teammates back then, and you don't even look at the guys that didn't prove themselves in that situation. And they don't, they're not upset that you don't look at them because they know it. But I think that was the most crucial thing was you knew who you could count on to lead. And you, there wasn't time for discussion. There was there was one guy that had to make the the decision. And okay, we did have radios in our uh, in our ears and stuff like that. But sometimes we we didn't. Was that part of your idea? Was to get people to kind of understand their limits, even if they weren't uh, perhaps a prolific leader. Uh, as for me, it's it's uh, not so. Uh, easy uh, uh, or simple, if you understand me. It's um, some people are leaders, and somebody can be a leader, and somebody will never be a leader. So, so uh, when I worked close with Bjarne, 
uh, we also looked at you guys to see who 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 have the potential to lead. And you know, as a, as a bike riders, it's not just on the when you are out on the uh, on the etapa, you know, out on on the, on, the, on your bike. It's also uh, when we are not uh, on the bicycles. The leader is 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 a person who who wants to lead, who, who like to lead. Who, who, who think it's funny, fun to lead? Is some is somebody they can't, they they have to lead if they they want to help the team from A to B all the time. A leader is also a person who care about his people. It's it's somebody who have the interest in his team. Uh, so it's not just something you can say now you're the leader. Um, some people are, are good at it. Some people can learn it, as I said, and some people they don't have it. And on the team, it was easy for me to see who was was the good. I, I call it soldiers, like because it's difficult to be a good soldier, and who who could be a leader, and who could be a good support to a leader. And we we try to put that in also when we do the the, the biking. Um, and I think it worked for me. It works good, and especially. When we was not out biking, when we was on the hotels or whatever we do, we had a fantastic spirit, and everybody was helping each other. And also, like, not to jump in it, but like Jens, when you uh, when you fall off the bike there, you know, I, 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 I that that was a, a part where I really saw how the team worked together. When when Jens was in that breakaway, and you. Don't want to stay on the bike anymore, Jens. You jumped off <laughs> with, a, with a fast speed. And Bjarne called call me. Uh, I was in the second car with Smitty, I think it was, with the Stahl helmet, I call him. And then he said, you have to drive fast because Jens, he's, he's crashed. And we came up to you, Jens. And then the, the whole team just worked together. We, 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 we worked with you. I jumped out. And I know you always, uh, not maybe you two guys, but some on the team think it was funny. I always carried that small rucksack with my stuff in, with a with a little light and some first aid kits and something. I jumped out of the car, and Jens, you was you were not saying much. <laughs> I remember that he was taking like a kind of sleep, and then then we just worked together, and uh, we never leave a, a comrade. And uh, of course, Jens, I, I follow you, and uh, when we came on the top of the hospital and the they said there's no room in the helicopter, and I said I don't care. I never leave Jens, <laughs> and then I fly with Jens, and we fly to that the other hospital and so on. And the team was backing up, and and this is where I see teamwork is working. This is a team. Everybody was concerned. Everybody wants to uh, help uh, anybody, and and so so this this was good for me. This is a real team. So that was a moment, even though. I was suffering a lot and I don't remember too much. I think I saw you a few times and I went unconscious again. I saw you again. You were with me in the hospital. And most important was you called my wife to tell her, look, Stephanie, he is alive. He's good. He's in surgery. I call you back in an hour. He's good. He's, uh, that was important for my wife to know that, you know, she can contact somebody. Um, so that was when team work really paid off but did you also remember like a negative experience where you go oh my god this team is falling to pieces there's no teamwork at all in this moment do you have a moment like that as well or you think yeah mostly we did good no of course i, I have you cannot be on a team you know, the best team in the world for 10 years where we work so hard we're on a so 
very, very difficult circumstances. And we did the biggest tour in the whole world. We, we worked so hard. You cannot do that without uh, the, the something goes wrong. But, uh, but where I come from, there must be a, a reason why it goes wrong. We have to learn about it. When something goes wrong, what happened? What can we learn about it? And of course, but I'm not, I'm not, as I said before, I live from now on and forward. But of course, uh, when I look very deep, I, I can find things where maybe Bjarne was maybe not present somewhere and someone on the team uh, have not the same uh, ideas as Bjarne. We have discussions and all that. But for me, it was that more like a challenge. We have to deal with it. Uh, we have to deal with it. And... Uh, and like you, Jens, you fall off the bike. And also there, probably when I remember once you came up to the car and Bjarne hit you with a with a mirror of the of the car and you crashed out in. A... <laughs> so shit happens. And Sibriski uh, when he 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 crashed in the yellow t-shirt and so this is this is where we have to stick together. There was also once we we had a start in one one city. We drive out uh, everybody together and 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 a, a, a lady. A, a woman walked out in front of a motorbike and get killed right in front of us. And I remember especially Andy and then it, it affects him. We cannot change what happened, but we can change what what we do in the future. So so when something happened, we had to deal with it. This is the way I'm, I'm, I'm trained and this is what I try to put into you guys. So of course, there's a lot of things where the shit hits the fan. But the team, we always find a solution and we came out on the other side. And this day, this day so many years ago from, from that time, there is no negative feelings at all. We can all meet each other anywhere, anytime. There's nobody like have any like, what do you call it? Uh, uh, you know, not friendship, the opposite. The, they have um, enemies. enemies. We don't have any enemies. And this is fantastic. Every time I see you on the internet or hear you or talk with, with somebody, and also last time since I met you, I'm just proud what we have done. And so, so this is... Thank you, guys. Well, to our listeners that may not have heard, in 2004, we had a film crew follow us around for the entire year. That documentary is called Overcoming. Uh, back then it was on DVD. That tells you how long ago it was. I think now it's uh, available on, on YouTube. And my attention, somebody mentioned that, that it was on there and I, I went back, I went down the rabbit hole and I watched some of those episodes. And um, yeah, that one, I'm, I'm glad to hear you admit that Bjarna actually hit me with the car on that stage of the tour because we had a little bit of a uh, discussion because that was an Olympic year. And when that happened, I thought not only is my Tour de France over, but my Olympic dream is over. And I was 32 at that time. I didn't see myself getting on another Olympic team. But yeah, maybe, maybe worth a look. We'll be back after this short break. I got an easier yeah. question for you, BS. In <laughs> all it? these years with Bjarne and Team CSC and Saxo Bank, did you ever write 
on a professional bicycle? Did you ever learn how to ride a bike with click pedals and all that? Or you go, nah, that's not my job. I just watch it, but I be in the car or I walk. I'm so happy you, you, you ask. I never had a bike. You know, this is Civilo guy from, the, from Canada where he was. He, he won every year to give me a bike. And everybody, my, my friend said, idiot, why didn't you take a bike? I'm not a bike rider. I've never been on the bike. It's like when you teach a soccer team, I never hit the ball. If you I teach people in golf, I never hit a golf ball. So this is not my job. And I was, now we have to be honest because nobody listened to us. If I jump on a bike, or maybe on a rest day and go with you, then I will show I was so weak. I can, I can, I can of course, not follow you at all. And then you, you will, all of you on the team will have something on me. So I'm not exposed that I, I'm not a bike rider. I'm a soldier. So, and, and, and I'm proud of that. Well, you're, you're also an author. You wrote the book, A Life on the Edge. I have never read this book. So please tell us and our listeners a little bit about it. No, maybe we should translate it. It, it was... Uh, at one stage, I, 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 I felt that I have something, uh, I, I want to give something. I want to tell about what, what, what we do where I come from, because I, I, I had the belief that somebody could use it. So I was thinking like, in the beginning, it was something like, we was 12 soldiers going into the jungle. After so many months, two guys came out of the jungle. I carry the other one. But then I found out, no, I have to be honest. <laughs> I have to tell about all, all, all the problems I had in the school and, and in my life and as a soldier. And so I, I just write uh, down things that I think people could learn about, that nobody is perfect and life is fantastic and all that. And then... It became a, a big, big bestseller. Uh, it sold uh, almost uh, 330,000 books. And that's many in Denmark. Uh, I, uh, uh, even this year, I, I heard that a, pre a priest used something from my book in, a, in, a, you know, in, in the church. So, uh, so I'm proud about that. So I, I, just, I just write down something, uh, how we do it and how I, I have done things. And uh, it, it went really good. I'm proud about that. I got another, another easy question for you, for our listeners. What is the highest altitude you ever jumped out of a plane? And what is the lowest altitude you ever opened the parachute? Oh, yes. Yeah, as I said, I have more than uh, 4,000 jumps. And we in, 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 the, in the unit, we... Uh, we have to jump from, we call it 10 kilometers. It was a little bit below. It was about a little over 30,000 feet. We jumped in the night. We have many night jumps. And then we, uh, we could jump out and pull the parachute immediately. And then we could fly more than 100 kilometers in the night uh, because the winds up there are very heavy. Or you could jump out and fall. And then we fall more than a two and a half minutes uh, until we uh, deploy our shoots in about seven, 800 meters. But we also had a, a way to, to jump very low where we connect to the airplane with a static line and then we fly very low and jump. And the lowest we had there for the, from the plane was 800 feet. 
and uh, because we we and I think it was low because we had a lot of equipment. It's not like a civilians would jump out in in the sunshine. We we jump at night with all our stuff, and maybe we have to be uh, on something for weeks. Uh, we also jumped from balloons, but it was not very high, very low. But but some people say that parachute is like a, a job. It's not a job. It's like it's like taking the bike on the job. It's it's just to get on the job. It's it's when you hit the ground, you are on. You have to work. So the jump is 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 like that. And and basically, uh, Jens, I jumped in in bun. You know, bun. You you. We 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 had a lot of training with the. With GSG-9, your counter-terrorism guys, very, very, very fantastic guys. And one night, we had to, to jump from uh, 6,000 feet and land on a roof in the city. And that was scary, because then you really have to focus on the job. Uh, so we jumped out there in the night and fly over a city in the night to, um, you know, to find out which house it was. You have to really... Photo, photo the picture before you jump out, and it went good. So, <laughs> so well, you're here with us, so um, it must yeah. have gone uh, all right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's good. It, I, I'm so proud of what I did, did in the military, and also what I did in America on the Ranger School. It was uh, really good, guys. And after that, I have a lot of friends with the Delta Force guys from Fort Bragg. We did a lot of things. Uh, uh, one of the things I've done was I was inside uh, Sarajevo for six months during the, the war down there to, to catch uh, war crime guys. They also work with some German guys. So uh, it's like uh, almost to be on a bike, bike, bike team, but we have another mission. And, and, and we don't win a yellow t-shirt. Um. <laughs> yeah. Did you still have something like old habits you still have? Like I, I served a few years in the German army. Or like yeah. a lot less stressful than your job was. But when I'm somewhere out and there's a rest, I still kneel. So I would be a lower target. Do you still yeah. do things like that? <laughs> I, I, I have that. It, it's so in my brain. When you when you relax, don't stand around. Go on your knees so you have a lower silhouette and you're easier to shoot at or you're easier to spot. I ever now yeah. still do that. The kids go, Dad, what are you doing? Oh, I do that stupid army stuff <laughs> yeah. again. I, I can't help it. I still do that. Do you have something like that? Yeah. Yeah. I'm, yeah. I have to be honest. I have, a, I have a lot of strange things I do. Like, you know... Uh, when I, if I have to to go uh, out in the in the darkness, I, I I shut the one eye a little bit before. When so when I come out in the darkness, I open the eye, and then I have the night vision. Like also when I we are in a restaurant, my wife and me, then I I always want to sit in, in with the back up to a wall so I can see the whole restaurant, and I I check always where we can get out and all that. It's 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 crazy, but uh, the, 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 my my family knows how it is, so so, and uh, there's a lot of things, and I think it's good, as long as you can, uh, you know, it's maybe crazy for somebody, but it's good for me. BS, that is an excellent bike tip. Yeah, people, you know, maybe not over here in the U.S., but in in Europe, you go through a lot of tunnels that don't have lights. Yeah, and I would do exactly what you did. I'd see the tunnel coming. Yeah. I would close one eye yeah. 
And then once I got into the tunnel, I would open up and I could see a lot better than if I just went in there from the light to the dark immediately. Yeah, yeah, but, 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 yeah but, but Bobby, don't close it just before the tunnel. You have to close it um, at, least, yeah. at least 30 seconds before, maybe one minute before. But I also want is, uh, to say that when you're driving your car and, uh, and, and an idiot is putting the headlights on you, close to that one eye immediately. And then when it just passed you and you open the eye again, you, you see much more clear instead of you're blinded. It works. It works. Another, another really good thing that you just reminded me of is every time I go into a hotel room and close the door, you know, they have the evacuation plan, like where is the exit? Yeah. And I just came back from the CES conference in Las Vegas where those hotels are massive. And not only did I know where I was going, I brought the headlamp that I used to use at our CSC yes, camps. I had that in my little sleep bag because I'm like, man, if the power goes out, I need to know where I'm going and I want to have some light. So, yeah, so crazy, I, I, crazy I, I, stuff. No, it's but, not crazy, but because some people said to me, uh, if, you have, if you want to have control all the time, how can you then have fun? That's why I, ha I can have fun. Because I have control. That's why when I drive, in, I drive a lot because I drive with, to teaching teams and so on. I have still my rucksack in the car with a headlight and with a first aid kit. When you drive out there in the night and the car in front of you are crashing in the night, flying down in a ditch, how can you run down and help people without a flashlight and your first aid kit? How can you do that? So it, it's made me comfortable, comfortable that I have control. It's like when we go with a ship up to Norway to, on the skis with the family. I always, when we come to the, the little, what do you call it, cabin, after we put the luggage, follow me. Now we go the route out to the safety boats and find out where's the life jackets. And then I can sleep. <laughs> so. Well, I, my, that was absolutely my last question. I think every single person that ever rode for any team that you were associated with, wanted to know after all these years, what's in that rucksack of yours? What's in that backpack? <laughs> and now we know. So everyone, you know, have that little bug out bag, have the things that you need to, to make sure that not only that you're prepared, but you can stay in control and thus have fun at the end. But, um, BS, man, it has been way too long. Thank you so much. I know this is a little bit of a special episode. We really wanted to focus on what it means to be a team. And I think you gave us so much great information, just as you always did back in the day. So thank you for coming on, Bobby and Jens, this evening. And thank you to you guys. And you take care out there. And remember, spend your time because it'll never come back. These are some wise words. Great way to finish this episode. Yes, also from my side, thanks a million for being our guest. It was so good to catch up with you. You haven't changed a single bit. It's just awesome. Thank you. Well, that's all our time for this week. Huge thanks to BS Christiansen for being our guest. Thank you all for listening. Please give us a five-star review and don't forget to share us with your friends. The show was a Value News production in association with Shock Giraffe. The producer was Mark Payne and this episode was edited by Tim Mosser. 
Please follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Bobby and Jens and share your cycling stories with us. Thank you.